We are studying through Deuteronomy, and uh, the joy of preaching through a book of the Bible like this is it causes you to uh, address uh, a lot of different situations and, and establish a theology on a lot of different things that maybe you wouldn't hit on necessarily. And, and today, uh, is, it, we're going to talk about one of those things that it's, it's very important for us to, as believers to have a right theology and a right framework for what we're going to see in the Word of God today and the, the application of what we're going to see today. And in Deuteronomy 19, it talks about cities of refuge. And uh, let me read this passage. I'm going to read through verse 13 and, um, and then talk about this and, and apply it. And we can walk out of here uh, better equipped to defend our faith. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God gives you, and you dispossess them and settle in their cities and in their houses, you shall set aside three cities for yourself in the midst of your land, which the Lord your God gives you to possess. You shall prepare the roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God will give you as a possession, so that any manslayer may flee there. Now this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live. When he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously, as when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him because the way is long and take his life, though he was not deserving of death since he had not hated him previously. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall set aside three cities for yourself. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory just as He has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land which He promised to give your fathers, if you carefully observe this commandment which I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways always, then you shall add three more cities to yourself besides the three. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and blood guiltiness be on you. But if there is a man who hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and rises up against him and strikes him so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. You shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel that it may go well with you. I'll, I'll finish here. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark which the ancestors have set, in your inheritance with which you will inherit in the land, the Lord your God gives you all that possess. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days." The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he has intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. On the surface, you're probably, you may be wondering, what in the world does that have to do with us? And the reality is it has everything to do with us. Because 
the blood guiltiness that the Lord is warning them against in their land in many ways is upon our land. The principle that, that what Deuteronomy 19 is teaching us, the principle, is no longer the principle in our land. Even among Christians, as we'll see, statistics say it's not even the principle that governs Christians' lives. And what this passage teaches us unequivocally is this. God values life. He values life. That's the bottom line. We, we, have, uh, we have seen uh, throughout Deuteronomy God's call for righteousness. That if they were going to be a people of God, that they needed to live righteously and they needed to exhibit God's character in, in all ways of life. And that's where Deuteronomy fits in. God is saying there comes a time where accidents are going to happen. And you don't hold that man or that woman guilty the way that you would otherwise. But there are things that are done intentionally and you do hold that person to the strongest of, of standards. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. What, what we see here in Deuteronomy is God is explaining to His people exactly how righteousness plays out and displays itself in life. This is about righteousness. This is about exhibiting God's character. And we're going to see it two ways specifically in Deuteronomy 19. What, what, what they're teaching us here is that, again, laws will never change our heart. Only grace will do that. And the grace of God changes people's hearts in two ways, and that's what we see here, two ways that a Christian that a follower of the Lord will exhibit God's righteousness. We see two ways here. And, and, and this is the, the bottom line. I want us to see the bottom line under, underwriting truth behind all of this are, are twofold today. The first thing is this. God is righteous and He demands that His people exhibit righteousness in everyday life. God is righteous and He demands righteousness from His people. Not just on Sundays. Not, not just in when it's believer to believer. Every day, all day, all the time, God demands righteousness. And that righteousness plays out in our everyday lives and how we treat one another. Not just sometimes, but all the times. We, we are a representative of our Savior and we are to display our allegiance to Him at all times. And our text today shows two ways that we're to live differently. Two ways. And, and we are to see things, hear me, what we're going to see today, we have to, as a people, come to the point where we see things as God sees them, we accept what He says, no matter what the world says, no matter what our feelings say, no matter, no matter what our flesh says, we have to crucify the flesh and we have to live according to the Lord and His Word, no matter what it confronts us with. No matter if the world likes it or the world doesn't like it, what we're going to see today is going to be very contrary to the world and, and even some of our flesh. And, and the first way, the first way that, the first attitude that, that plays out that we see here in our text today, the first, the first action, the first attitude, the first way of life that righteousness plays out is, is this truth that we as believers must grasp, we must grasp is this, that God values human life. God values human life. 
That, that is the whole point here. And God wants His people to be people that value human life as well. Excuse me. <coughs> what, we, what we see here is, is, is the idea, the truth that God values human life, that, that He says you deal strongly with somebody who takes another person's life, but you give grace where there's an accidental taking of life. That's the whole, we've seen the cities of refuge, this idea before in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He mentioned the cities of refuge. And, and, and it's mentioned in four other books of the Bible. Here's the point, it's a big deal. When, when you look at the Word of God and you see it mentioned four different books of the Bible talking about it, he's reiterating it because it's a big deal. And here's the point, God knows our nature and our tendencies. And when people are wronged, what is our natural inclination? Our natural inclination is to get back. Our natural inclination is to take revenge. The natural inclination is to take matters into our own hands and get them back and pursue justice on our own or as we, as we see it. And God knows that. It, retaliation. The, this, the point of this, he's saying, I value human life. And I know your nature, and your nature is to retaliate. And that retaliation, what he's saying is that retaliation, that devaluing of human life only brings about more impurity to the land. So I'm going to set up some, so I'm going to give you some wise counsel here to prevent that. That's why he says, set these cities up so that if accidents will happen, men will accidentally take someone else's life, and I know your tendency, and in that day, the, the, it was in order, the next of kin, it was their responsibility to get justice on behalf of their loved one. And he's saying, don't pursue justice this way. You trust me. I'm going to set up these cities of refuge. And, and as you get into the promised land, your land is going to increase. And what he's saying is there were already a few cities, but as their land increased, he's saying it would be impractical to think that everybody in the land would run to that one city. He says, so set up cities throughout the land so that no matter where you were geographically, you would not be at a disadvantage in order to get to a city of refuge. Should something happen, should there be an accident, should you take someone's life accidentally, spread these cities out geographically, make the roads clear going to them so that people can take refuge in those cities and you don't further perpetrate innocent blood. You don't kill more people than needs to be. That, that's what he's saying. He's talking about innocent manslaughter accidents and yet when accidents occur our nature still is to take revenge there's still a loved one there that has been taken that has been injured that has been their life has been ended and that family their tendency is to take revenge and god is saying that will only further pollute the land that that's what he's showing here verses 1 through 10 that's exactly what he's saying verses 5 through 7 he gives an example two guys are out cutting wood Swings the axe, the axe head flies off, it strikes a man, it kills him, you've killed a man, what do you do? You flee to this city of refuge. It was unintentional, you did not intend for it, you did not hate this person and then pursue them. Why? Because verse 11, verses 8 and, and, and following talks about because they're going to be after you. Their loved ones might come after you. And that further pollutes the land. And like I said, in that day, the nearest relative of the person who was killed was responsible for avenging his family member's death. And you see that in verse 6. 
Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him because the way is long and take his life, though he was not deserving of death. And the whole point is verse 10. It's purity in the land. So innocent blood will not be shed. That's what God is saying. My, my people will not be a people who shed innocent blood. My people will be a people that protect innocent life. My people will be a people that, that trust me that one day I will be the avenger of all and you're going to trust me. But, but it's about purity. So innocent blood will not be shed in the midst of your land. That's his whole point. Even in verse 11 through 13, he, he gives provision that a guilty person may flee to one of these cities of refuge and, and try to find safety there. And he's saying, look, the guilty won't find refuge. You throw them out and you deal with them for exactly what they did. If they murdered somebody, then they're, then they're killed. You can go all the way back to Genesis 9-6. That principle is still there. It's always been there. We don't get to choose. He, he literally says twice, you shall not pity the person who takes innocent blood. You shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel. Purity. And Moses is making sure that Israel understood that their well-being as a nation, the blessing, depended on this. What he says is this, that protecting the innocent and executing the guilty would be to their good. As a society, a society who protects the innocent, a society who punishes the guilty, it will be for their good. That would be a good lesson for us to remember today. But that all falls under the idea that God values human life. Because God values human life, now the responsibility is on us. If, he, if that's His if that's His idea if that's his love for human life we too we too have to display that the same and as god's people you see that in b on your handout as god's people we must value and protect the sanctity of human life if our father if our great god feels that way about human life we must too as well and not only because god does but but and this represents him well but it goes deeper than that it goes deeper than that, and that's what I want us to see today. It goes deeper than that. It lies in creation. God's love and value for human life and our love and value for human life goes deeper than, than, the, than the surface. See, on your handout there, number one is this. This is why God values human life twofold. Every person is made in the image of God. Every single person Biblically speaking, is made in the image of God. You can go all the way back to Genesis 1.27. He says this, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. You, you say, well, that, that's, that's Old Testament, you know, whatever. Go to James 3. James 3, chapter 9. Let me read that. He says in James 3, verses not, verse 9, what, With it, he's talking about the tongue, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Every single person, why, why don't we curse men and women? Why don't we talk bad about them? Because they've been made in the image of God. Why don't we kill them innocently or, or without respect? Because they've been made in the image of God. That's why innocent blood will not be shed. The point of an image was to reflect the creator or the, or the original. Men and women reflect the image of God. The, the, whole, the whole reason for our existence is to point to the original, which is God, to glorify the original. 
We are all reflectors of God, images of God. When we see another person, we need to understand that we're looking at a reflection of God. We must see God reflected in them, and they, they have value because of that. They're a creator. The population in this world, they say, is around 7 billion. There are 7 billion reflectors of God. That's that's why we see Genesis 9-6. Again, in Genesis 9-6, after Noah and the flood, look what he says. Uh, The establishment of, of capital punishment, the establishment of that law, like it or not, whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed. Listen, why? For in the image of God he made them. Why do you do that? Because they're made in the image of God. That's the bottom line. Like it or not. Because every human life is sacred, because it reflects God, he's saying this, no price is high enough to compensate for its loss. And the greatest thing we have is our life. And he says, if you shed innocent blood intentionally, the only thing right to do would be to shed your blood. That is a prevailing truth throughout Scripture. Even in verse 20 of our text, look at at in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, why, why so strong? He says, purge the evil so that the rest will hear and be afraid and never do such thing evil among you. You... You deal with people this way, I promise you people are going to say, I ain't going there. It's to purge evil. It's to pursue righteousness because we're image bearers. And this whole thing is to to even get to this point, he says in verse 9, if you would simply love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, this wouldn't be an issue. But that, that is why we have seen clear commands throughout Deuteronomy not to murder, very simple, because we're image bearers of God. And murder, murder would be the most heinous crime against another human being. There'd be nothing worse. It's the intentional elimination of the image of God. Intentional elimination of the image of God. You, you, and, and it's interesting, Satan has, has pursued people with that ever since the fourth chapter of Genesis. Cain and Abel, what do you see in the fourth chapter of Genesis? Murder. Murder. It's always been an issue. You look throughout the scriptures, it's always listed as one of the things that the Lord hates. Jesus himself, in, in Matthew 26, 52, reiterated this. Matthew 26, 52, when, when Peter is about to cut off Malchus's ear, he says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. He's saying the, the rule is this. You take innocent blood intentionally, you take an innocent life intentionally, your life is demanded of you. That, that's the righteousness that God requires. Why? Because we're the, we bear the image of God. But it goes beyond that. Not only do we bear the image of God, every single person was created by God. And, and this is the clear uh, truth of Scripture. Every single person, whether you like them or not, every single person 
created by God. Psalm 139, verses 14 and following. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Very well, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were one. Psalm 127.3 says that children are the gift of the Lord. The, the passages are endless. People have value because not only the image that they bear, but they have value because of their creator. And, and we know that principle well. If I painted a picture and sold it in, and signed my name to it and tried to sell it, you wouldn't pay a dollar for it. But if the thing says Vincent Van Gogh on it, it could be the same exact picture. All of a sudden, it's worth millions. Why? Because the creator... Why we have worth, why humans have value and worth is because of our Creator. We're created by God. And, and, and science, for the sake of time, I won't read this, but science has proven over and over again that at a very short time frame, we're all there in the womb, completely formed. Hands, feet, head, organs, brain, it's all there. God, why? Because God created it. He created us. And, and to take a human life is heinous because God is calling His people to be protectors of human life. And, and the implications of this are, are abounding in our society, abounding. Not caring, not valuing, not taking seriously God's Word, not being a protector of human life. And we're suffering the consequences, just like he told Israel, hey, you do this and it'll go well with you. Or you don't do this, it's not going to go well. Well, guess what? Listen to me, in America in 2013, in 2013, on the FBI website, they don't, haven't released the stats for 2014 yet. In 2013, 14,196 murders. 14,196 people in America alone were killed Intentionally out of malice. 14,000. 14,196 images of God destroyed intentionally. And, and what makes that worse, going back to our text, he talks about love God, love your neighbor. 23% of those were by family members. We're not talking about strangers. 54% of all those were killed by acquaintances. These aren't just strangers. 54% of those by acquaintances. We're destroying images of God and, and have no regard for it. And we're doing it to our loved ones. We're not even doing it to strangers. Our loved ones. And we, we refuse to deal with it strongly. We're violating God's commands and we're not dealing with it. Listen, that 14,196... That number grows to one, over 1.2 million when you factor in how many babies were aborted in the womb. 1.2 million babies last year alone. That's murder. It's murder. L listen, listen to me, Exodus, what, in Exodus. This is a favorite passage of mine. I go to it. You know, we have all this science and technology and all this stuff, and we think we're so smart because we have all this. 
and yet we miss the forest for the trees. Listen in at Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. Listen, but if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, foot, burn for burn, wound for wood, bruise for bruise. They didn't need a 4D sonogram to tell them that that baby in the womb was alive. They didn't need it. They didn't need technology to argue about it. And they said, whatever you do to that baby will be called upon by you. And we no longer, we no longer as a society believe what create what societies have believed all along why? Because we want to be selfish. We want to do what's right for us. We want to do what we want to do. And so we, we remake the rules and we deny what everyone knows to be an un, un, unequivocal truth. Listen to me. Satan is behind this. The Bible paints him as a thief and a murderer. Why do people murder? Because we have an enemy, Satan, who is deceiving us into thinking that's the solution. It is a spiritual battle. He knows that people bear the image of God. He knows that we were created by God. And you know what he gets them to do? He gets us to murder each other in his attempt to go against God. And, and we, we, in our sinfulness, so we don't have to deal with what it really is, we'll name it less offensive names so that we don't have to deal with what it is. Again, 1.2 million Babies, those are reported, documented abortions in America last year. 1.2 million. And, and see, here, here's where Satan deceives us. Even as believers, and I'm talking to believers. Hear me, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about believers. This is where Satan deceives us. Oh, well, they're for health risks. Oh, it's for this. Oh, it's because the mom, it's because the baby had... had uh, 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 deformity or this or we're, we're really helping people out L listen to what i did some research here, here here's why people are getting abortions listen to me 21 percent because of inadequate finances who in here as a parent would say they have inadequate finances to provide for a child seriously we're all ain't nobody you can't afford a child i mean i needed a city i just to be funny i needed a city refuge yesterday we went to we went to took our kids to a movie, see Paddington. Great movie, great family movie. So our kids had been given a, a gift cards for Christmas by some family. So they were for Toys R Us. So we're like, hey, we're never over at the Groves, so we'll go and go to Toys R Us while we're there and save gas and all that. So after about two hours of walking through, by the way, if you need to know what the price is of anything in Toys R Us, ask me. Because my two kids asked me what the price of every... Can I afford this? Can I afford this? Can I afford this? So we get up to the checkout line, and guess what? The gift cards have zero balance on them. They're brand new. They're brand new. So now we've spent two hours walking all through Toys R Us. Our kids are all excited. They've got these toys, and now they ain't no money to pay for the toys. You talking about needing a city of refuge? I needed a city of refuge. I'm like, where in Toys R Us can people go to to just quietly deal with this so they don't do something that they're going to regret and the whole family's going to be embarrassed about? I was like, kids, 
we got to go to the car. Just, we got to get, now thankfully, Grandma and Grandpa were with them, and Grandma and Grandpa took care of it, and they'll deal with the gift cards later. Hallelujah for Grandma and Grandpa. Because I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, no, this ain't how this is going to play out. We're not paying for these on the front end. I know how this works, Toys R Us. It's a scam. We're going to pay for the toys now because ain't no way we're putting it back on the shelf. And then you're going to send us a gift card and we're going to come back and buy our kids more toys that they don't need? No, nah, that ain't happening in the Basham household. <laughs> City's a refuge. Inadequate finances. Listen to me. Inadequate. Who, who, you can't afford kids. They're expensive. Expensive. I mean, college and all this. Pay for your college. Come on. 21%. Hey, the, uh, additionally, 21% said, I got an abortion because I just wasn't ready. Who in here is ready for parenting? Come on. We're not ready. We're not ready for it. It's a faith walk. 16% said that it would change their life too much. What person in here has kids hadn't said their life has been irrevocably changed? Seriously. I don't even know how it was 10 years ago. Change, but change for the better. Children are a gift. Children are a blessing. I wouldn't want to know what life was like without Sarah Grace or Bradley. Wouldn't want to know. 12% said problems with relationships. What, what parent in here that has kids, it ain't caused problems in relationships? Namely with the man and the woman who God gave the child to. Problems with relationships. Children do that. 11% said we're too young or immature. That's a whole different discussion there. You should have thought about that. Yeah, you're probably too young and immature for something else. 8% said they already have children that are grown. They don't want any more. That is directly in the face of our God who says that children are a gift. 3% said the baby has health problems. Less than, listen to me, less than 1% of all documented abortions are because of rape or incest. Listen to me. The world will tell you that's why people are getting abortions. That, that's a lie from Satan. That's a lie. That's not the reason why people are killing babies. Listen, in today in America, statistics say 40% of all pregnancies in America will be aborted. 40% of all pregnancies in America will be aborted. 40%. You think we as a society, we value human life? We value our own life. We care about us. Listen, we're killing images of God. We're telling God that, no, that's not a gift, that that child is not a gift. We're saying, God, you're a liar. That's what we're saying. We're selfish. We've abandoned God's word. And then we excuse it. We sin, and then we excuse it. Let me, let me just, you know, I've been challenged with some passages as I really, as I really studied this and dug in. And listen, listen to Psalm 22, verses 9 and 10. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Listen to this. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. You get that? that? That baby, that life that we're supposed to defend, you know whose God there is? It's our God. He's their God. He says, I've been your God since the womb. Why? Because I created you and I formed you. 
When, when, we, when we do this, when we as Christians allow this, we're, we're falling prey to the enemy. And we're going against God's created order and against His word. Satan is attacking God and the image of God and the plan of God. And, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. And Satan says, no, 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 I'm going to get them to even attack before they're even born. Listen, you see it on your hand now. This is not about a choice. It, 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 these things are not about, it's not a white thing or a black thing. This is not about a woman's body thing. This is not about babies that are defective. This is not rape. This is, not, this is about defiance against God. This is a spiritual battle. And Christians fall prey as much as anybody. Christians fall prey. I, I looked at a recent poll, and this is where it hit home for me. I looked at a recent poll. Nearly half the people that surveyed who called themselves Christians, nearly half of those said that they agreed with the right to choose. Half the Christians that were surveyed said, no, no, we, 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 we believe in God, but we agree with the right to choose. That, that doesn't make sense. It's, it's unacceptable. It's unbiblical. That would like me be saying, well, I believe that Jesus is the only way, but I also believe that other people can get to heaven however they want. It doesn't work that way. Either Jesus is the way or he's not the way. And he said, I'm the only way. So he's basically eliminated the option of any other way. Either we believe God or we don't. We, we have to see things as God sees them. Again, some, some, I, I'm gonna, I, I struggled with whether to, I don't want to hurt anybody's faith or cause questions, but listen, listen to me what at Exodus 4, you, you talk about defects and this and that. Listen to what Exodus 4 verse 11 says. Moses is complaining that he's slow in speech and he doesn't have all this and all that. Look what the Lord says. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Listen to this. Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Who's sovereign over every child that's born, whether, whether they're perfect or not? God is sovereign. You look at John 9 with the man born blind, and they said, Who sinned, this man or this one, that, that he would be born blind? God said, Neither one of them sinned. This man is blind to my glory. To my glory. I, I, I opted not to show it, but there's a video. You can watch it. It's called 99 Balloon, Balloons. This family, it's a documented. They had a baby who in the womb was designated, was determined to have trisomy 18, I think. They said, Abort it. They said, We won't. They said, It'll never live. They said, It doesn't matter. And it's a story chronicling that child's life. And it's chronicling that family's attitude. See, the problem is not, the problem is with our attitudes. The problem is with who we worship. Is it us or do we worship God? Christians who don't stand up for life and don't stand up for the things of God are not helping societies. We're destroying them. Again, verse 13, this is for your good that it may go well with you. And God will defend those who cannot defend themselves. And guess who He's chosen to do it through? You and through me as believers. To fight for it. Because they bear the image of God and they'd be created by God. And we have cheapened life on all fronts. And we're suffering the consequences. And God demands 
God demands, within that, it boils down to this. God demands that our interactions be governed with honesty and integrity. we got to be honest about it. And he talks about here about not moving a, a mark, a boundary mark. In that day, they didn't have all these fences and all that. You would literally set up a stone, some stones, and that would mark off your land, and, and people would go and move the stones because it would give them less land. And, them, and guess what? It's stealing. You know what he's saying is both life and property are given by God. Deal with them honestly and deal with them with integrity. Don't move the markers. It's about righteousness. Amos 5.24, let justice run down and righteousness be a mighty stream. God owns it all, whether it's life or property. He owns it all and it is to be respected. Listen, listen. Stealing takes on a lot of different forms. And not valuing life takes on a lot of different forms. Extortion is stealing. Not working hard at work is stealing. Ruling people unjustly, taking advantage of them, stealing. Bending the rules to your own profit is stealing. Slandering, making false allegations against individuals, that's stealing of their reputation. It's stealing. Bearing false witness, that are, it's stealing. And taking a life is stealing. I hope you see how it all comes together. You don't value life and you'll murder, you'll, you'll, you'll lie, you'll slander. It shows itself in a lot of different forms, a lack of value of human life. And I think we would all admit, everyone in here, at various forms and various degrees, we're all guilty. I think if we were honest and looked at our lives, we would, we would say we're guilty. What do we do? And here's the beauty of what this passage teaches us. This is the culmination. This is the good news. Christ is our ultimate city of refuge. Christ is our ultimate city of refuge. These cities of refuge point us to someone, and his name is Christ. Hebrews 6.18 says, For refuge to lay, Christ is our refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Christ is our refuge. He's our city of refuge. Listen to me. This is where I, just what we have in Christ is utterly Unbelievable. The person who fled to these cities of refuge was innocent and did not deserve to be judged. Yet we flee to Christ because we are guilty and we do deserve to be judged. We do deserve to be judged. In the case of the Israel, the innocent ran to these cities and was, and was allowed to live. But in our case, Christ was innocent and he died. Why? Because you and I are guilty and we deserved to die. These cities are a picture of the grace and the salvation that Jesus Christ alone has offered. It's based on Christ's obedience and not ours. We've got to be real careful in, in becoming arrogant and thinking that, that this isn't our problem or that, 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 well, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't done this. I'm, get, listen to this. Jesus in Matthew said, have you, you may not be guilty of murder, but have you ever hated somebody? You ever been angry with somebody? Jesus said, you're guilty of murder. See, we have to be real careful and not think that this is an other issue problem. He says, you hate somebody, you're as bad as a murderer. Just because just you haven't killed someone does, doesn't mean you're innocent. All of us are guilty. Can murder be forgiven? I think Paul would argue yes. I think David would argue yes. And, and what this passage teaches us and what I want us to leave here today with this is the good news is this. There is forgiveness 
for our sin, and it is in Christ alone. No matter what sin, no matter what sin, no matter how many sins we come in here having committed, there is forgiveness in Christ. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You feel condemned, that's not of the gospel. That's of the enemy. That's of your sin. Run to Christ. Proverbs 18 says, the na- 10, 18, 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and safe. No matter what you've done, there is refuge in Christ. There is forgiveness in Christ. Believer or not, no matter what you sit there today and you're guilty of, there is forgiveness in Christ. Value life. We as Christians have to value life, but not only life, we have to deal with sin seriously. We have to be willing to deal with sin. We've got to make righteousness a priority. We, we need to be a, commi- a community that's committed to righteousness in all our actions and all our attitudes, characterized by generosity, compassion, a commitment to others. That's what this passage is teaching. It, it's others over self. It's God over self. It's pursuing what God has called us to over what we want us to do. But there is full forgiveness in Christ where there is repentance of sin, no matter what it is. Your only refuge is in Christ. There is complete forgiveness for your sin in Christ. Whether you're a murderer or whether you just have been angry and hated somebody, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And I pray, that, I pray that if Christ can forgive us, that we would be a people, especially here within these walls, that can forgive one another. And when we go out there, that we can be willing to forgive one another if we've been wronged. Why? Because we've wronged God and He forgave us. See, righteousness plays out in every area of our lives. I, I pray that we would be a righteous people, that we would be a gracious people and a forgiving people, because that's what we've found in Christ. And I pray that even us as individuals would be somewhat cities of refuge. We would be the roads. Moses talks about make sure there are roads and make sure there are clear to get to these cities of refuge. I pray that we as Christians would be the roads that people can get on and be led to the ultimate city of refuge, which is Christ. There is forgiveness in no other but Jesus Christ.